Welcome to the True Vine Podcast. Wherever you are listening, we hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and brings perspective that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Oh, let's worship the Lord across this auditorium tonight. Sweet presence of the Lord is in this place right now. Let a hallelujah out. Let a praise the Lord out. Let your praises go up to the Lord. Blessed be the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Glory, glory, honor, praise. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let the Lord refresh your soul, renew your spirit, strengthen you tonight. Ah, blessed be the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, name that is above every name tonight. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Let the church say praise the Lord. Joy to be back in the house of the Lord tonight on this Monday night. We're in a revival. We're in a reviving of our passion, our zeal, our love for the Lord these few nights. Taking a little time out from our busy schedules to have a series of services and sort of get a little saturated. A little saturated, the presence of God. Give honor to all of you tonight to be here, being treated so well. We had a wonderful lunch today down by the pier in the water, and uh, we were able to uh, have a good time. We appreciate that so very much, Pastor. Uh, Pastor Williams and the Good Saints from Spring Valley, Pentecostal, about an hour from here, they're joining us on live stream every night as a part of this joint revival. So that is exciting. Amen. We thank the Lord for all of his kindness to us. Amen. My uh, goal tonight, when Pastor invited me to come, he talked to me about the fact he wanted a, a revival for the church, an opportunity for me to preach to the saints of God, the church, dig in a little deeper, reach up a little higher, go out a little further, get our anchor down a little stronger. And so, Every revival meeting has a primary focus. It's not a singular focus, primary focus. And so uh, that's my focus tonight. Uh, if you're a visitor or a brand new Christian, new convert, it's not my intention to uh, bring too strong of meat, uh, but to challenge those that have been down the road for several years. And you can just take the parts that apply to you and dig in a little deeper from wherever you are and every church service every time the people of God gather there's always an opportunity for those that need prayer those that are trying to come out of the world and we'll certainly pause and take time for you around this altar tonight and so I want us to lift our voices one more time in prayer as we get ready to go into the word of the Lord and I want you to pray with me right now and ask that the Lord will let each of us just dig in a little deeper soften our hearts Lord Soften our hearts right now. Let our hearts be like clay on the potter's wheel, so easily molded and shaped into the image you would have us to be. Let our soil be the good soil that will receive the seed and bring forth much fruit. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. And we pray tonight, Lord, that our hunger would be great and strong that you could lead us out into the deep waters, the deep waters of your presence, and we give you the praise and the glory and the honor. And everybody said with a loud voice, in Jesus' name. God bless you. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. In his book, The Johnstown Flood, author David McCullough outlined an interesting viewpoint. The Johnstown Flood, sometimes called the Great Flood, took place way back on May the 31st, 1889, Johnstown, Pennsylvania. 2,209 people lost their lives. Many of the bodies were never found. To this very day, it is one of the most devastating disasters to hit an American town. What's unique about this situation, oddly enough, is everybody could have easily been saved. They died simply because they didn't take the situation all that serious. The flood was caused by an above average rain, which caused a poorly 
constructed and severely neglected dam to break, flooding the city. Everyone knew it was possible. The dam had overflowed before, flooding the city all the way up to as high as three feet. Every year as the spring rains came, they would have floods of some level. Engineers repeatedly warned of an impending danger. Everyone knew it could happen. Everybody knew it probably would happen someday. But no one expected it to happen to them or to happen now. As a matter of fact, once the dam began to break away, they had more than an hour to flee and escape the danger, but almost nobody left. Even though the town was now flooding, water was rolling up ankle deep and getting higher, they continued to stay in their comfort zone. They even ignored the warnings of those that rode in on horseback, telling them the dam has given way. So 2,209 people who were aware of the danger and received ample advanced warning died to a severe and fatal crisis of complacency. And so tonight I want to talk to you and I about avoiding this crisis of complacency. We're too late in the game. The battle is too strong. The hour is too severe for you and I to be complacent at this critical time. Complacency is a feeling of quiet pleasure, feeling of security, often ignoring potential danger defects. It is like having a self-satisfaction, even a smug satisfaction with the existing situation and condition. We just kind of like it the way it is. Please leave it alone. Proverbs 24 and 30 says, I went by the field of the slothful, by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. Lo, it was grown over with thorns and nettles had covered the face thereof. The stone wall was broken down, and I saw and considered it well and looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall poverty come upon you as one that travaileth in want as an armed man. I travel for my ministry. I'm a traveling evangelist. For the last 20 years, I have been week after week, month after month, year after year, in church after church. I stand before good people like you on a regular basis, sometimes visiting two or three churches in a single week. It is my observation that there are many places that church folk are facing a crisis of complacency. Good people, people who love the Lord. Not mad, not upset, not angry, not, you know, trying to split the church, not running down the pastor on social media. Not those kind of people. Good people. Come to church. Love the Lord. Worship when it's time to worship. They give when it's time to give. They're faithful. Just not real passionate. Just not very aggressive about it. Just not so easily moved. <laughs> Is it all right if I push you a little bit? In the past number of years, we've had blood moons, solar eclipses, unprecedented rise in earthquakes, floods, fires, hurricanes. There's one city in Louisiana just experienced their third hurricane in the last year. From last year till now, we hear daily of wars and rumors of wars. The end times are unfolding in front of us. The newspaper reads like the book of Revelation. And we just barely yawn at it all. We're about to come out of a worldwide pandemic unlike anything that's been seen in over 100 years in our nation. We have to believe that 
these things have been allowed to shake us and stir us to some level. Never in my lifetime did I ever think I would see the day that church buildings were closed down, no services. Never thought I'd see hostility toward Christianity like we're seeing it now. Our nation is not anti-religion, it's anti-Christian. We're dealing with a strong spirit of anti-Christ. And when you speak like I'm speaking, it's just the spirit of the age to say, well, that's just, you know, you're overreaching. That's an alarmist mentality. That's just a fear concept. It makes you wonder if none of these are true signs of the end times. If we're really not in the end times, if there's no real rise in the spirit of Antichrist, if all this stuff we're seeing happen really doesn't matter one way or the other, it's just all no big deal, nothing for us to worry about, then I wonder what has to happen to shake us. What is going to have to occur to cause you and I to become more concerned than we are right now? I feel like Part of the purpose of God through the pandemic was to shake the church out of its comfort zone. To allow us to become uncomfortable so we would look at each other and look to God and look within ourselves and say, what do we need to be doing better than we're doing? If, if, if it was okay with God, if it was okay with God to allow the churches to be shut down for weeks and months at a time, that tells me God was telling us, I'm not happy with the way it's been going. I want some changes. For God to allow it to stop tells me that he wanted it stopped so we could take a pause and decide what do we need to be doing different. And if none of this is all of that, then I just have to wonder what's going to have to happen somewhere in the world and what day and hour that's going to cause us to get concerned. As a matter of fact, lately it seems like those who are protesting righteousness, those who are against godliness, seem to be more vocal and at times more passionate than those of us who are opposing evil. I'm not suggesting we take to the streets and protest and carry placards and scream our lungs out and get on television. I'm suggesting that we protest in prayer rooms. I'm suggesting we protest in worship services. I think the Bible teaches us we can shout until the walls come tumbling down. I think we can pray till the earth beneath our feet begin to shake. I believe there is room for prayer and fasting until we have a breakthrough, until we see the level of things that only happen when you're praying and fasting. We can have good programs, good church services, nice things for the young people, a good uh, community, a great place to come and visit without prayer and fasting and without a move of God. We're doing all of that now. But if we want more than what we have now, if we want that dimension where the chains are broken and where the backsliders are praying through and where the prodigals are coming home and we want to see addictions broken in the lives of people, then we're going to have to do a little more than we've been doing. That's why pastors pushing us to prayer and fasting in this revival. This was the accusation that was leveled at the Laodicean church in the book of Revelation. When he looked at that church, he said, I wish that you were cold or hot. Because both of those have value. Nothing better than a nice cold drink on a hot day and a hot steaming drink on a cold day. He said, I wish you were cold or hot. But you're lukewarm. You're lukewarm. You're not entirely cold. You're not entirely hot. You're somewhere in that muddy mixture of the middle. Back in the old church, we called them people on the fence. One foot in the world and one foot in the church. I'm easing in on you. Lukewarm. And he said, because you're lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. You would think they would have been aware of their backsliding that they would have been aware of their situation and would have been seeking earnestly to be recovered from their weak condition. But that's not what they felt. They said of themselves, we are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Thank you, preacher, but we're fine the way we are. Leave me alone is the anthem of evil in this world today. That was their observation of themselves. 
We're rich. We're increased with goods. We have need of nothing. But that was not the observation of the holy inspiration of Scripture, which said, Knowest thou not that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked? How is it that the people of God could have one opinion of themselves that was so diametrically opposed from the opinion of heaven? It wasn't just that Laodicean church that was chastened. Even that strong church at Ephesus was dealing with a crisis of complacency. That strong, good, healthy church in Ephesus. Here's what was said of them. I know your works. I've seen your labor. You've held the truth. You've not wavered. But you have left your first love. Sometimes that's misquoted. Said you lost your first love. They didn't lose it. They left it. They made a choice. We choose a hundred times a day what to hold on to and what to let go of. One thing I've learned as I've got a little older in life is you're going to make choices where to spend your time and spend your energy because none of us has enough time or enough energy for everything. So you're going to sacrifice one thing for something else. You're going to choose the things that are the most valuable to you. And if you want to know what really matters to you, no matter what your brain tells you, look in your budget. Look in your wallet. See where you've been spending your money. Because where your treasure is, that'll tell you where your heart is. You're faithful, he said to that Ephesus church. You're faithful. You're solid in doctrine. You're not off in scriptural error. You're not out in the demonic areas of the world. You're not, you're not an evil person. He said, you're just simply not passionate. It's the peril of having bought in but not sold out. We make our calculated investment. We put a portion in, but we keep plenty enough back. But that's never been the way of God. That's never been the call to discipleship. The call to discipleship is take up your cross. Deny yourself and follow me. I learned a long time ago that it's not hard to live for God when you live for God hard. My brothers and sisters, if you want to know the secret to this thing, it's an all-in proposition. It's with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. That's how you live for God successfully. That's how you get out there in the deep waters. That's where you find the favor of the Lord. If you're just looking for a Sunday morning touch, you just want to feel good about things in life, maybe you're trying to just get by on minimum requirements, I promise you there's coming something down the road that you're going to find out minimum requirements wasn't enough to get you through. And I don't know how you are. I got over minimum requirements a long time ago in my life because I don't want the minimum return from God. I'm not looking for just a little touch. I want to be baptized in the Holy Ghost and fire. I want to be saturated. I'm not looking to splash around in ankle deep water. That's for toddlers. I want to get out there and swim in the deep stuff. I want to, I want to get in over my head. I, I'm looking for the brush of angels' wings. I'm looking for the kiss of heaven upon my life. I, I, I'm looking to have the power to cast out devils and speak to demon spirits and say, Get thee behind me, Satan. The prophetic promise of complacency is the travail of calamity. It's to those who know to do good, but doeth it not. To him it is sin. The whole allegation in the parable of the talents was against the man that simply did nothing. One was given one talent, one was given two, and one was given five. You know the story. The five took theirs and put it to use and doubled in the Two took theirs and put it to the use and double, but the one with one talent, fearful, afraid, complacent, took the one talent and buried it. And when they came back before the master, he received his accusation. You did nothing with what was given to you. The issue before us today is not how many talents you have. It's just what are you doing with whatever you have. If you're a one talent, then take your one talent and do something with what you have. Amen. 
If you're a two talent, then you've got to do a little more. If you're a four talent, you've got to do a little more. If you're a five talent, you've got to do a little more. To whom much is given. Much is required. Unfortunately, we are taking on some of the attributes of the society and the culture we live in, and we want all return with no investment. We're taking on a mentality of entitlement that says it it should be given to me regardless of whether I qualify or not. It should be given to me no matter what I do. No matter, it's not based on me. It just belongs to me. That might be prevalent in America, but there's nowhere you're going to find that in the biblical concept of Christianity. You know what I learned from that parable? Something would have been better than nothing. I'm here to tell you tonight, something is always better than nothing. We can major, well, I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I can't. Well, okay, what can you do? What can you be? How far can you go? Because something is always better than nothing. I've come to challenge the church tonight to something. Do something more than you're doing now. Be something more than you are right now. Reach for something more than you have right now. There's got to be something that you don't have in God that you need. There's got to be some place you could grow. There's got to be some area in your life that needs shoring up. Well, how you doing out there? We've done swallowed the cat. No point in choking on the tail. Let me take you to the book of Judges. One more warning from the scripture, and this one's a heavy one. Judges chapter 5, verse number 23. Curse ye, Miraz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse ye bitterly, inhabitants thereof. Boy, they must have done something terrible. Must have been full of adultery and fornication and all kinds of ungodliness. Curse ye bitterly, the inhabitants thereof, because they came not to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Startling. No major sin, no abomination of unrighteousness. They just didn't help. Well, it's quiet in church tonight. Now, us Pentecostals, we don't get nervous when the music's loud and people are shouting and sister so-and-so's falling over and one of the young people gets a little wild, knocks over a microphone. Now, that makes visitors nervous. That don't make us nervous. We get nervous when it gets like this right here. You know, let me tell you something. I've been doing this a long time. Something I've noticed about the church in this age compared to the church when I was younger in the church. I, 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 I can remember the day when we sat through a lot of preaching that kind of just sort of dangled us over the fires of hell. <laughs> but these days it seemed like we misinterpret strong preaching for mean preaching. And there is a difference. We need some strong meat. I'm not trying to be mean or unkind. I'm, I want to help us. And there's no place to be mean. There's no place to be cruel in the pulpit or otherwise. But there is a place for some strong meat. There's a place for us to sit in the house of God and think, Oh, it's me, oh me, standing in the need of prayer. Oh, man, I feel like I, I, I need to get right with God. I need, to, I need to do something more than I'm doing. So this mirage, this tribe, these people cursed because they came not to the help of the Lord. Didn't you hear the sounds of battle? It was wartime. Couldn't you know the war was raging? If you read down through it, you'll find out that everything was involved. Every tribe was doing what they could, but they just stayed in their boats. They didn't get involved in the sounds of battle. They didn't take up the extra weight. They didn't feel the increased burden. They were just at ease in their lives. You could have helped. You just didn't. You could have lightened the load. You just didn't. You could have assisted in the effort. You just weren't involved. Everyone could have done something. Some were doing everything they could while others were doing nothing at all. And so I'm here tonight to appeal to this church in a revival. You understand what a revival is? Revived behind in the heat of the battle. 
If you've lost your prayer life, you've lost your passionate worship, you've lost your faithfulness, you've got sloppy with your giving, you're, you got sloppy with your testimony, you're, you've done started playing around in worldliness, you, you recover yourself in revival. Revival is for the church. Evangelism is for the world. And I found out usually uh, back in the 80s, I can remember when we had church services like this night after night after night, and we went four, five, six, eight, nine weeks. And many times it'd take two or three weeks just to get the church to break through. Pastors would invite me to come for two weeks to see if we can get a revival started. Because we'd preach to the saints until they started breaking. I feel your old hard hearts tonight. I know you didn't want this message. I know you wanted me to prophesy about signs, wonders, and miracles. And this is your season. And this is your time. And God's about to bless someone. And somebody's about to get a Mercedes. And I know what you want. I might do some of that on Wednesday night before I get out of here because I got some good stories along them lines. But, I, but, but when we get that Mercedes, I want us to be able to drive it with a right heart. I want us to be able to, I want us to, be able to pick somebody up and bring them to church in it. I, 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 want us, I want us to be able to live for God's totally sold out. Because all those things just fringe benefits. That's not even what living for God's all about. You say, well, you know. Preachers, that's what they do. They just get all stirred up about everything. <laughs> Pastor in here every week worried about how, what's the decibels and how loud is it and what song are we going to sing and you know, what's, the, what's going up on the graphics and how's the live stream and what do our logos look like and did everybody vacuum and when's the last time we cleaned this glass with Windex and we're just... And... <laughs> Sorry. Two-thirds of the church say, ah, don't worry about it. It's all fine. And literally, we sit there thinking, don't matter to me what they put on the screen. I don't care what they sing. I ain't worried about all that. I'm not all stirred up about this. Pastor wanted a coffee shop out here. He wants tables out in the foyer. He's worried about greeting people at the door. We're fine. Don't worry about it. It may not matter to you tonight. But I will prophesy and tell you, one day it will matter. There's going to come a time in your life when you're going to need this church to be strong. When it's going to matter if anybody's been praying or not. Where it's going to matter what songs the music team decided to sing that service. You're going to walk through here in an emergency in a crisis, fighting things you've never fought, treading water, trying to hold on. And you're going to need the man of God to have been with Jesus. You're going to need a message that can reach through all of the atmosphere and get a hold of your heart and drag you to an altar. You're going you're to want a preacher that will reach for you just a little beyond the ordinary. They won't be satisfied with your first refusal, but will preach to you until you break. I ask you tonight, what kind of church service do you want us to be having here when your prodigal decides to come home? It may not have mattered to you tonight what time you got to church, how many people decided to come or not to come. You're not even paying attention to the crowd. Doesn't matter to you what we sang, what we do, just hoping I don't go too long and you can get out of here and get you a bite to eat and go to bed was your biggest concern on the way. But I promise you, the day that prodigal calls you and says, y'all having church tonight, I, I got to get right with God. And you go pick them up and they walk through those doors with you. You're going to notice if the ushers were on point. You're going to notice what was going on in the foyer. You're going to look around at the crowd and see how many came to church. You're going to pay attention to what's on the screens, what songs are sung, what the sermon title was. It's all going to matter. And when they give an altar call, you won't be looking to be the first one to the car. You won't be trying to get out of here as soon as they say, let's all stand. When you got somebody with you that is in dire emergency, their eternity is on the line. Everything matters. This service has got to be the one that makes the difference in their life. What kind of atmosphere would you want right now? 
if that backslidden husband or wife or that unsaved family member, that coworker you've been trying to witness, if they were with you tonight, what would you want it to feel like in here right now? Wouldn't you want this atmosphere to become so charged? Wouldn't you want the presence of God to be so thick that they may not even understand it all, but they're sitting there with tears swelling up in their eyes saying, I've never felt anything like this before in my life. Folks, if we're just average, if we're just at ease in Zion, if we're just content to sing a song or two, whatever, do just throw it together, however, that's not going to happen. But if we get to sincerely buying in with everything inside of us, if we're worshiping with everything inside of us, if we're coming to the altar and we're gathering around those that are in the most desperate need and we're praying for them, what kind of altar service would you like to see when your loved one walks up here or when you've been to the doctor and they're telling you that it's cancer and there's nothing we can do so you slip out of your seat to walk up and get prayer what kind of prayer do you want then you want to listen a little dab of oil God bless you in Jesus name or do you want somebody to get serious lay hands on you with faith lay hands on you and pray and I wonder what you would do if you had three months to live would you come and get prayed for or would you walk up here and say pray for me I need a miracle I feel a hunger in this house tonight. I said, I feel a hunger in this place tonight. The Bible said, this kind cometh out, but by prayer and fasting. There's a kind of church that goes beyond religious tradition. There's a kind of church that goes beyond religious ritual. There's a kind of church that is more than our branding and our social media, that is more than our presentation, that is more than our platform and our music set. There's a kind of church where the angels come walking in and the waters of life start springing up. The anointing begins to destroy yokes. The hardest of hearts begin to melt. I prophesy revival into this church. I breathe a fresh fire on your prayer life. I breathe a fresh fire on your worship. I breathe a fresh fire on your faithfulness to the house of God. Woo, give the Lord a great hand praise. Do you want to go a little deeper? I said, do you want to go a little deeper? I said, can we go a little deeper? You can be seated. I got four minutes on my timer and I might have to take two minute overtime. I'm rising tonight in this setting that we're in to revive a volunteer, get involved spirit in the church. This is not Starbucks. And many times we treat the church like we treat restaurants and Starbucks. You may like it. You may have your favorite drink. You may get up a little extra early to go by there in the morning before you go to work. But when you get there, all you want is give me my coffee and here's your money goodbye. You don't worry if the lights are on, if the floors are clean, if the coffee beans got ordered on time. You don't work there. You just shop there. Church has become a consumer mentality for many people today. They don't work here. They just shop here. What you got good, preacher? I threw a little extra in the plate tonight, hoping for a little extra. What miracles you handing out? What prophecies you got? What can you say to make me feel better about my life? We need some people that are willing to work here. Sunday mornings, we'll put the goods on display for the shoppers. But I'm just taking a guess that on Monday night, some people showed up to apply to work here. We need somebody that it matters to them. It just matters to them if the chairs are lined up, if there's paper on the floor, 
If there was something left in the seat, you'll just go ahead. It may not be your job, but you'll just pick it up and throw it away. I'm trying to get rid of a lot of stuff just went through my brain. You may not have seen it outside when you pulled in tonight. There's a giant sound outside that said, help wanted, apply within. Because everyone can do something. No matter how small it may seem, something is better than nothing. Well, what could I do? Well, my, I don't know. I'm just new around here. It's my first time here. I haven't talked with pastor about anything in the church. But uh, most places I go, they could use some help in the nursery. I don't have any talents. I don't know what to do. Trust me, they need help. And I've not talked to one of them. I just know what I know. I pastored for 12 years. The nursery. Join the cleaning crew. Trust me, they need help running vacuums and dusting and cleaning windows and plexiglass. Everyone can do something. I can bring a visitor to church. I was thinking tonight, wouldn't it be awesome if we set a one visitor maximum? All right, you can bring one, that's it. I used to do stuff like that to our church because we got maxed out and the crowd was big. And I'd say, all right, people, one visitor's all you get. Oh, I'd get so much backlash. But pastor, I wanted to bring a whole family. Well, okay, I'm going to let you. Give you an exception. They figured out I just mess up with their minds. You can teach a Bible study. Well, I don't feel qualified to teach a Bible study. Well, maybe you could babysit the kids for somebody who is teaching a Bible study. Well, I don't like children. <laughs> okay? Well, that's another issue we could work on. Can't teach a Bible study. Don't want to babysit the kids for somebody teaching a Bible study. Maybe you got a little extra money, you could buy some Bible study materials. See, everybody can do something. You find a way to work yourself into the equation. That's what the woman did when Jesus said it's not fit to take children's bread and give it to the dogs. Aha. Uh -huh. But the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She's just looking for a way to get in. She's just looking for a way to get involved. She just wanted in the story somehow. I know it's not my season, not my time. I'm just trying to squeeze in. I'm trying to get my foot in the door here somewhere. Get your foot in the door and watch what God will do. If you can't sing a beautiful song or they haven't asked you yet, <laughs> you can at least help make a joyful noise in the sanctuary. You can help create an atmosphere. When whoever's leading or preaching or whatever says, let's all give the Lord a great hand praise, you can join that. That's not that hard. It's not that hard. What would happen if we started getting 100%? Just on anything. I, I crossed over that line years ago. I went through a little season where I was getting a little cynical. You know, you get to living for God. When you first come to God, you're just begging for deliverance. Go to the pastor. Just use me. Use me, pastor. I just won't be used for God. Ten years later, you're in the pastor's office. Arms folded, attitude. All this church does around here is use me. Answer to your prayer there. I mean, I can. It's what you asked for. Attitude. Attitude changes so much. You can't sing. You can't play a musical instrument. Make a joyful noise in the sanctuary. Help create an atmosphere of faith. If you're not a leader, pray for the leaders. If you're not a Sunday school teacher, pray for a Sunday school teacher or ask to assist in some way. It wouldn't it be wonderful if everybody who was doing something had an assistant helping them do it? Just helping them set up the table, helping them put the things in place, helping them get the, the crafts in there, helping them get the refreshments in there for the kids. Everybody needs a little help doing what they're doing. Pray for the city. Pray for the lost. Here's what I'm saying. If you can't sing, shout. If you can't shout, clap your hands. If you can't clap, say amen. If you can't say amen, nod your head or wave your hand. Come to the altar. If you can't come to the altar, pray at your seat. If you can't be a leader, be a giver. If you can't be a giver, be a worshiper. Something's better than nothing. Just anything. 
resist anything. When I was in the local church there in Frederick, Maryland, my first job I ever had in the church, I assigned myself to it. They didn't ask me to do nothing, so I just asked myself to do something. I got to notice it. I sat on the second row. And I got to notice, and I was a worshiper. Of course, I was young and skinny and had lots of energy. And uh, I was a worshiper. I, I'd leap up and down and dance in the spirit. We sang a lot of shouting songs back in the old church. We only had one beat, and we either did it fast or slow. <laughs> sang everything in the key of G for Jesus. You know, dun, 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 and, and then the way we knew he's out of the move of God, we'd start the song out, and it'd just get faster and faster and faster and faster until we just sort of blew up. So I would get out in the aisle, and I'd shout and dance, and I noticed that many times in the service when I'd feel it getting going, I'd be one of the first ones out in the altar or out in the aisle, and I'd get to worshiping, and then I noticed I'd sort of just like inspire people all around me. They'd get to worshiping. They started observing this. So I started trying it out. I thought, man, we're not really getting with it here tonight. And I'd get out there and get going and get some other folks going. They would kind of catch on. So I signed myself. I'd never heard this. I'd heard of prayer warriors. i never heard of a worship warrior. But I made it up and assigned myself to be one. I am now a worship warrior. I'm going to be the first one in the battle. Amen. Y'all better not sing Amazing Grace too fast. I'm on it. We're going to start a fire up in here tonight. Something's going to happen. Because I was just looking for a way to get in. I'm an outsider. I got no famous relatives in Pentecost. I come from the streets. I came from the outside world. I had no pedigree. I had nobody who knew who I was. Nobody to give me a hand up. I'm just looking to get in. And I did have some street smarts, so I knew how to make things work. I knew how I'm going to get myself involved here one way or the other. I'm going to work my way in. And I just kept working and working and working. And I found out something. The harder you work, the more jobs they'll give you. Pretty soon, pastor saying, man, I need something. Who got, hey, that boy right there, he'll do it. He'll do anything. I shouldn't say this, but it came to my mind. My attitude was like, I'll be your huckleberry. Hey. I, I, I was in this thing for the long haul. I just didn't buy in. I didn't make a calculated investment. When I came in, it was like when I used to play poker. I said, I'm all in. I'm betting everything I got on this. I'm in this thing for eternity. I'm all in for the long haul. Everything I got, I'm laying it on the table. I'm in heart, mind, body, and soul. That's why some 35 years later, I've been all over this world preaching the gospel because the Lord's the same as the pastor. He's just looking for somebody that'll make themselves available and say, here I am. I'm going to prophesy to you tonight. Bring it to a close. There's not a devil in hell. There's not a force of darkness that can stop this church or any church if we all get to praying, if we all get to worshiping, if we all get to giving, if we all get to helping, when we all start doing whatever we can, I pray tonight that God will deliver this church from any spirit of complacency, lift the curse of complacency off of us that has come upon us through this pandemic. May there be a consecration that would get in our spirits tonight until we lay aside every hindrance. I don't have time to go into it tonight. I'll throw the title at you. I preached at a conference down in Florida here back a couple months back. God ever spoke to me. He spoke to me. I preached the title that night at that conference, Invasion of the Insignificant. And I am telling you, our lives are overrun with insignificant things. Do you realize in the Bible, when they got out of the will of God, and in their own pride and arrogance, they decided they were going to build a tower up to the heavens. We know it today as the Tower of Babel because it was there that God confounded the languages and dispersed them out throughout the world. That They built on that tower for so long that there were people who were born, became adults, became employed building the tower. I'm sure Father was proud. The boy come home and said, man, I got a job today helping one of the brick masons. I'm going to be carrying mortar and bags. And then later on, got a promotion i'm i'm now mixing the mortar dad that's awesome son you're doing great mixing mortar later on in life become one of the bricklayers man you're doing well son 
Later on down the road, one of the head masons spent an entire life being promoted and carrying bricks to a tower that would never be built. Spending their life for something that was destined to come to an end without ever being fulfilled. Died and went to their grave having spent their life on the insignificance of a tower that would never be part of God's plan. Maybe it's because I'm a little older now, but I do not want to spend my life on the insignificant things of this world. This world and the lust thereof are going to pass away. But I am building my tower tonight on the foundation of the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Stand with me. I do have about two minutes worth of delivery. The ancient Jewish custom. They had cities they called the cities of refuge. Someone who had caused another person's death, accidentally or on purpose or through revenge, could run for safety to one of the cities of refuge. The uniqueness of the city of refuge was that no matter what crime they had committed, and in those days of an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, family could avenge it. They could have killed them without consequence if they had killed a family member. They could run to a city of refuge. And if they could get inside the gate and behind the wall, the law of the land and the city said they could not be avenged in the city of refuge. That as long as they remained in the city of refuge, they were safe and protected from the vengeance of the wrong that they had done. Because of the significance of the city, they literally had people assigned to go out to the roadways that led into the city. And they would sweep the roadways, fill in any holes with fresh dirt, pat it down, remove any brush, any stones that could get in the way of the runner. Because when the runner come running for the city, he was running for his life. And they didn't want anything that could cause him to stumble, trip, fall, and then become the victim of the vengeance of the crime that he had committed. We need, as a church, to start preparing the city of refuge and make straight the way that leads here, that there be no hindrances. Because I'm going to prophesy to you and tell you they're coming, folks. They're coming. This thing's not done getting heated up yet. We're just in the beginning of sorrows. And it's going to get heated up and the backsliders are coming first. And they're coming. And they're going to come running. And one of these days your loved one's coming running. And we want to have been a people that have made clear the pathway. And when they come running, we're going to know how to sing. And we're going to know how to pray. I am grateful. I told you a little bit of my story the other night. I was raised around the church, filled with the Holy Ghost at an early age, baptized young, but spent my teen years a long way from God. When I was out going to concerts, when I was out passing the doobie around the table, when I was out living like a hellion, there were people over at the church still worshiping, faithful people praying. I had an uncle that prayed for me every day. And when I finally came to myself, and that Sunday I walked in, they were on fire. They were singing with all their heart. The prayer warriors had the atmosphere charged. When I walked in, the church was in revival. And I can't tell you how thankful I've been that when I was acting a fool, they were being faithful. <laughs> and when I finally walked through the door, they weren't dead. They weren't dry. They weren't mad at each other. They weren't in a big old fight about the pandemic they had their mind on Jesus and when my hands slipped up there's about five of them's hands that went to me they weren't sluggish they weren't complacent they weren't cold they were on fire and I'm telling you in this revival we need to catch on fire because when they come walking through here they're coming with demons they're coming with addictions they're coming with the chains of sin we've got to, we've got to get the atmosphere up we need to sing a little louder, pray a little harder. 
we got to get this thing on fire so when they walk in here we've got to make clear the pathway so I'm gonna give a strange altar call right now I don't know if you've ever had one quite like this but I wonder if there's a leader in this church who would walk to this altar tonight and lift your hands and say I know I'm a leader but I really need a revival in my soul based on what I've heard here tonight. I, I, I need, there needs to be a little more coming out of me. Much has been given. I wonder if there's a leader in this church that would be one of the first to walk to an altar tonight and say, I need revived. I want to be part of taking this church to the next level. How about some faithful saints? You're always here. You're always here. But you're saying, you know what? I want to help take this church to the next level. I want to help push this thing up to a higher place. I want to pray until we get a breakthrough. I want to have revival until we find ourselves in a new dimension. Now, whosoever will, if this is your very first service you've ever been here, you're welcome to join us in the altar. You're welcome to pray right where you're praying. But would you lift your voices? Would you lift your hands? Would you shake off any curse of complacency? the dam of revival is about to break I don't want to die in the gates of revival in the gates of the harvest tonight come on prayer warriors it's time to pray come on worshipers it's time to worship somebody push yourself past your flesh shake the cobwebs out Look up with fresh eyes to see through the thin veil. Look into the holy place. Y'all can take it away. Be led of the Holy Ghost. If God leads you to go pray for somebody, go pray. If you need somebody to pray for you, go to somebody. Lay your hands on me. I need help. I need help. I need help. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. You can visit our website or church app if you would like to give. And if you enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe, like and share it with your friends, and tag us on social media. Because we want to witness with you what God is doing in your life. Thank you, and God bless.